0: With me to the book of Acts, chapter 18. Acts 18, you can find that on page 927 if you're using one of the Red Pew Bibles. This morning we're going to be wrapping up chapter 18 and we're going to be start- starting with verse 24 and then reading through verse 28. <clears throat> Identity is a bit of a buzzword in our culture right now that means a lot of things to a lot of people. And it really depends on the context in which we're speaking. If you have things like uh, identity theft, where someone assumes your personal information and uses it to their own benefit. But then you've got things like the bigger issue of gender identity and the debate over what makes a man a man, what makes a woman a woman? What makes a person a person? It's become a great social crime to assume anything about anyone's identity. and in some places, it can actually make you a criminal. It's ironic with all the emphasis that we have seen on identity that we have really become more confused on the issue than anything. By blurring distinctions and making identity so subjective, all we've really managed to do is to gut that of any significant meaning or purpose. Now, the beauty of distinction has been flattened out and it has been dulled. And We've we it's it's a, it's a situation that's it's very serious. The false gospel of self-determination has unsurprisingly failed to deliver on its promises. Although it promises freedom, all it really manages to do is to further oppression, deeper depression, and to accomplish an astonishing rejection of truth in favor of a lie that reality is nothing more than a social construct that is affirmed by an existing community. These these are serious issues. They're not just philosophical ones. They affect us. They're affecting us even this morning. And the Bible has real answers on these subjects for us. From the very beginning, the Bible speaks to us about the God who is, who created us in his own image, who created man and woman with equal dignity, yet with their own beautiful complementary distinctions. It it seats our identity within the created purpose of God. It teaches us that we were meant to have a deep and abiding relationship with him. As our creator, God has made us with dignity and purpose that goes far beyond and avoids the vain pursuit of self-determination. The Bible explains to us, how we have come to this point of identity crisis. It draws us back to the Garden of Eden where our first parents, Adam and Eve, chose to defy God's good command in favor of the lie that they would be happier if they were in control. We see that pride is not the path to happiness, but it is in fact the dark fountain from which this current identity crisis we find ourselves in, from which it flows. But beyond showing us the problem, the Bible also points us to the solution. It reveals to us the futility of our own works. It points us to the, the, the grace of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. As the perfect son of man and the incarnate son of God, Jesus is able to serve as a new and better Adam who restores us to a right relationship with God and who gives us the right to become children of God in which we are called into his service. This is the identity for all who are joined to Christ by faith. We are servants of God, and this is a title that now rules and reigns over our lives. He gives us a new and satisfying purpose matched with the gift of a new joy-filled heart, and it's this identity that I want to explore with you this morning as we look at Acts 18, verses 24 through 28. So, let's get into that. If you would, please stand with me out of respect for God's word as I read our passage aloud. This is the word of the Lord. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God for it. Please be seated. Well, earlier, Brad read for for us from 1 Corinthians 3, where Paul writing to the church writing to a church that was struggling to remember its identity asks what then is apollos what is paul servants through whom you believed as the lord assigned to each i planted apollos watered but god gave the growth at the time when paul wrote this the church in corinth had become divided Some were claiming to be of Paul. Some were claiming to be of Apollos. Some were particularly pious and said that they were of Christ. Paul and Apollos were not divided with each other, as the situation in Corinth suggested. They were both servants of the Lord, servants that God had used instrumentally to grow the church. And so Paul says in chapter 4, verse 1, This is how one should regard us. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. What I want to look at with you this morning specifically has to do with Paul's assessment of himself and his assessment of Apollos. The relevance of 1 Corinthians 3 to this particular passage as we look at it is more than just the fact that it has Apollos and Paul's name in it. It is what, how they regarded themselves and how they instructed us that we ought to regard ourselves by extension. Jesus once told his disciples that whoever would be great in the kingdom of God must be the servant of all. When Christ calls us out of the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom of light, he calls us into his service. He is our king. He is our Lord. Our allegiance is to him, and though we are called into his house to share in his glory as members of the household of faith, we are called, in fact, to serve. Now, our service is not as slaves, it is as sons and daughters of God, but it is service still, and it is wrapped up in the identity that we have when we are joined to Christ. We serve as he served. But what does that actually look like? That's what I want to look at with you this morning as we look at the lives and example of three people in particular, Apollos, Priscilla, and Aquila. And I want to start this morning really with our main idea, which is this, that we ought to regard ourselves as servants of the Lord. If you are a Christian and you are thinking to yourself, how should I think about my identity? The answer should be that you are to regard yourself as a servant of the Lord. And there are three ways that we see we are to, to do that. What, three markers of a servant of the Lord. First, we're called to maintain a teachable spirit. Maintain a teachable spirit. Second, strive to build others up in the truth. And third, gladly go where God calls you to go. Let's begin with what it means to maintain a teachable spirit and why this is so essential for us as we seek to be faithful servants of Christ. At the end of our, our main hallway in our house, there's a board screwed to the wall with measurements going up so we can track Titus and Rebecca as they grow. Every once in a while we have them stand up against it and we mark it with a sharpie with their name and their date so we can track how they have grown, how they've changed. Kids, kids are supposed to grow and mature, and so are believers. The author of Hebrews exhorts us to press on towards maturity in our faith. He urges us to show the same sort of earnestness to have full assurance of hope until the end so that we will not be sluggish in our service, but rather that we will be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. Paul echoes this in his letter to the church in Philippi. In chapter three, verse 12, where he says, "'Not that I have already obtained this "'or am already perfect, "'but I press on to make it my own "'because Christ Jesus has made me his own. "'Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, "'but one thing I do, "'forgetting what lies behind "'and straining forward to what lies ahead, "'I press on toward the goal for the prize,' of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So the life and the faith of a Christian is meant to be anything but static, anything but immobile. We are meant to increase. We are meant to grow. We are meant to persevere and press forward in the pursuit of Christ and in the pursuit of godliness. Growth is a sign of life. Having been made alive therefore by Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit who is ours through him, Christians are meant to grow, to grow in our knowledge of God, to grow accordingly in our love for God, and to grow in our work both against sin and for Christ. Growth like that comes as a gift of grace. It comes through faith as we lean into the calling of Christ on our lives, and it comes by maintaining a teachable spirit, the sort of spirit that we see at work in the life of a certain disciple named here for us as Apollos. Now, Apollos was a Jew who was originally from the city of Alexandria. You, have, any, have you ever heard of Alexandria? Surely you have, okay. Alexandria is a very famous city. It's actually on the north coast of Egypt, It was founded by Alexander the Great in 331 BC, so it's a very ancient city. Most famously, though, it is known for its its great library and and for being a huge cultural and commercial hub. At the time when uh, uh, Apollos would have been born there, it also had a very large Jewish population And Alexandria is actually, just a little bit, if you ever uh, need a little bit of Bible trivia, uh, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, was done in Alexandria because there were so many Jewish scholars who lived there. Now, although we don't know who the first person to bring the gospel to Alexandria was, we do know that it came fairly early on, and the city itself throughout history, played a very vital role in the history of the early Christian church. But besides being from such a notable city, Luke also tells us that Apollos was an eloquent man. Apollos was competent in the scriptures. Some of this came from the fact that he was from Alexandria. He was around scholars. He was well-educated. We don't know how he came to believe the gospel per se, but Luke says he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, we're told that he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. There's a a lot to love about Apollos. There's actually not that much said about him in the scriptures, except for what we read in the book of Acts, and we see him acknowledged and spoken of in a few of the letters. We know that Apollos was from a respectable city. He was well-cultured. He was well-liked. He was educated. He spoke well. He had a real handle on the scriptures, and he was genuinely passionate to speak to people about Christ. So traveling from place to place, Apollos became very well-known throughout the church, and even his opponents had a difficult time resisting what he had to say. But for everything that Apollos had going for him, for as much as you would have liked if you had known him personally, for all his knowledge, for all his eloquence, his passion, at this point in his life we see that there were some things missing in his grasp of theology. He was in need of some growth. While Luke has some very high things to say about Apollos, in the second part of verse 25, he tells us that when Apollos came to Ephesus, he was only aware of the baptism of John, which is a, a reference to John the Baptist. So while it is right, while Luke tells us Apollo's had a very accurate understanding of the way, which is the, uh, <clears throat> that's a, a shorthand way that we see in the New Testament that the church spoke about the gospel. So while he had a very accurate understanding of the way of Christ, he had some things missing from his theology, things that needed to be corrected. Passion was not enough. He needed truth. He needed something added to him. Now, Apollos' passion for the gospel is what brought him to Ephesus in the first place. And Luke tells us that he came to the synagogue, and he began to speak boldly there, and it's here where he meets our old friends, Pisilla and Aquila. As they heard him speak, they recognized that though he was passionate, though he was eloquent, though he was accurate in what he was saying about Jesus, he was also missing something. And so Luke says that when they had heard him, this wise and godly couple took him aside and explained the way of God more accurately to him. Now there are many commendable things to take with us from Luke's description of Apollo's. But I think that the thing that sticks out the most about him in this situation and from this passage is this teachable spirit. It's a trait which really shows how the Spirit of God was at work in his life, which we need to embrace ourselves if we are to grow in service to Christ. There's a lot to love about Apollos. There's a lot... To him, that you would have found appealing if you had been here in Ephesus. He is the kind of guy that you would want to host as your keynote speaker at one of these big conferences you might go to. He was well educated, well spoken, he was passionate. He had been taught the way of the Lord, he had a handle on the truth. He was the kind of guy that attracted people's attention without actually seeking it. His goal in this, in his service, was to draw people's attention to the scriptures to show them that, in fact, the Christ was Jesus. These are all good things. And in time, Apollos becomes very well known, not only for his passionate zeal, but for his ability to speak the gospel well. But to come to that point, Apollos had to grow. And Luke doesn't go into detail exactly about what Apollos was missing from his theology. He simply tells us that he only knew of the baptism of John. John the Baptist had told people that he baptized with water for repentance, but the one who was coming after him would baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. Now, with all that Luke says about Apollos, it seems like he did have a clear understanding that Jesus was, in fact, the Christ, And that in saying that he accurately taught people the things concerning him and the way of the Lord, I think we can say in confidence that he understood the gospel, that he was preaching it in the synagogue, but he was missing something here. He needed some correction. He needed to understand the way of God more accurately. He needed to grow. He needed to mature. And God arranged for that to happen through the faithful work of Priscilla and Aquila who saw the gap in his theology, and who lovingly corrected him to make sure he understood the truth better. Before we get to them, though, I just want to start with the example of Apollos himself. In order for us to benefit from any sort of sound teaching, we first have to be teachable. You can listen to every sermon you can get your hands on, but unless you are willing to learn, unless you are willing to be taught, those things will not benefit you. You can read theology, sound theology, but unless you are willing to learn, it will not benefit you. You can have good conversations with godly people, but unless you are willing to learn and be teachable, they will not help you. Now, Apollos didn't know Priscilla and Aquila before he came to Ephesus. When this couple of tent makers run out of Rome, comes up to him after he has been speaking to correct something of what he had said, he could have dismissed them out of hand. After all, why would he necessarily think he had to listen to them? He could have clung to his pride. He could have clung to his eloquence, his likability, his charismatic passion and influence, his education, his cultured upbringing, and he could have continued on. But if he had done that, he would have been a fool, because he needed to hear what they had to say. He needed to grow in his faith. He needed to grow in his grasp of the truth. He needed to press on in maturity. And by God's grace, we see that he was willing to receive this correction. He humbly submitted himself to the truth, and God blessed both him and the church because of that. As we look at Apollos' life, we need to take a second to think about our own. We need to humbly recognize that there are are areas in our theology and in our lives where we need to grow. If there's anything I could change, go back and change about my first few years at Bible college, it would probably be this. You see, when I came to school at Toccoa Falls, I came trying to prove that I already had a grasp of this stuff. I came to show. I mean, I grew up in this stuff, right? For 18 years, I've been learning at the hand of my father who has a PhD in theology. I've been reading books outside class before I ever got here. I know where I want to go. I want to prove that I have a handle on this. It wasn't until later that I finally realized that the classes I was taking were not going to benefit me unless unless I really pressed into learning instead of trying to prove that I already knew it. Seminary broke me of that, because I started having conversations with people I had no idea what they were talking about. The fact of the matter is that we need to recognize that until Christ takes us to glory, we all have room to grow in our knowledge of God, in our pursuit of godliness, and we can only do that if we embrace the same humility that Apollo showed here. So, brothers and sisters, some of you are, are very mature in your faith. You have walked with Christ for a long time. You are you, you settled in your convictions and in your faith. But understand, the sweetness of Christ only grows. Don't come to a point where you're just content where you are. Press on. Press on for the knowledge of God. Don't be satisfied with where you are in your walk. Press deeper in and further up. If Paul the Apostle would write to the Philippians and say, I do not consider that I have secured this myself, then brother and sister, where are you? Where am I? We need to grow. We need to be challenged. We need to understand the truth. We need to grow in a better grasp of our theology and our understanding and our relationship with God. And to do that, we need to embrace this heart of humility, to have the same heart that Apollos has here that is teachable and open to correction. Hold fast to the convictions of the faith and always seek to grow and refine your grasp of the truth. There's a a saying that came out of um, the the church really in Holland, so you should all enjoy this, um, of reformed and always reforming which is to say that we have never hit a point where we are not seeking to become more refined in our understanding of the truth and our love for God. So, brothers and sisters, be teachable. And be teachable so that you may benefit not just yourself, but others. And that brings us to our second point. Build others up in the truth. As we seek to grow in our faith, it is also important for us to have an eye towards one another, The servant of Christ must maintain the heart of Christ, which humbly seeks to see others built up in the truth as well. And this is particularly seen in the example of Priscilla and Aquila. Now, remember, Priscilla and Aquila had traveled with Paul from Corinth. And while he passed through the city, making his way to Jerusalem and then on to Syria, they stayed. They set down roots. They invested in the situation and in the city. God had work for them to do in Ephesus, work they didn't know. They didn't know Apollos was coming, and yet we see how God and his sovereignty strategically had them here to not only benefit the church that formed in Ephesus, but also to benefit the church abroad as Apollos came in and learned and then took that knowledge out to the church abroad. As we look at Apollos, as we look at Priscilla and Aquila, we see they put down roots, they went to the synagogue, they were faithful in how they used their home and their work as a platform to reach people for the truth of the gospel. And one of the reasons I love Priscilla and Aquila so much is because I think they are an excellent example for us to think about how we are to use our lives. Whether we're married or whether we're not, whether we're called to go or whether we're called to say, we are called to be faithful. And Priscilla and Aquila give us a fantastic example of how to live in our city where God has us, to be faithful in the way we care for one another, for the, to be faithful in the way we work and run our businesses, to be faithful in the way we pursue a knowledge of God. Now, I wonder what it had been like for Priscilla and Aquila to be sitting there in the synagogue and to have Apollos come in. They had never met him before. They didn't know who he was. And he comes in, and he boldly begins proclaiming Jesus as the Christ. I mean, this is like Paul's shadow walking in the door. Now, I suppose that Aquila and Priscilla could have seen him come in and thought, who does, he think that, who does this guy think he is? They could have resented him. After all, they were personal friends with the Apostle Paul. They probably funded his trip to go back to Syria. They were already doing work here. And Apollos, well... He had some clear holes in his understanding of the way of the Lord. They could have resented him. They could have pressured him out. They could have publicly discredited him. What good would that have done him? What good would that have done the church? What good would that have done those who heard the gospel and were considering the gospel and had not yet repented and followed Christ? So that is not how Priscilla and Aquila reacted. No, in fact, they loved Apollos. Just as they strengthened and cared for Paul when he was at his lowest, so we see that they strengthened and cared for Apollos well. And we see that for a num- in a number of ways. First, they actually cared enough to take Apollos under their wing to correct him and instruct him. It's, it is costly to do what they did here. I, I don't know if you've ever tried to do this, tried to help someone in their understanding, invest it in their life. It's costly. And they, they did they didn't know Apollos before he walked through that door. When they saw him coming through the door with this clear passion for Christ, they could see that he needed some correcting. They didn't know how Apollos was going to respond to the correction, so they took a risk by taking him aside to tell him to give him a better and more accurate understanding of the way. But they went and they spoke with him anyway. they, they took that risk that he might just outright reject them and try to shame them. They willingly stepped into what could have really very easily turned into a rather messy, awkward situation. It would have been so much easier to just say, well, you know, he's got a pretty accurate understanding of things. Let's just let him go. But Priscilla and Aquila loved Christ too much, and they loved Apollos too much to let that happen. So they took the risk, and it paid huge rewards. Second, we see Priscilla and Aquila's love for Apollos shown in the way that they corrected him. They took time to listen to what Apollos had to say. They showed him deep respect, not interrupting him while he spoke, while he was teaching. But what they did is they, they, when they did correct him, we see that they took him aside and they explained the way of God more accurately to him. They didn't try to embarrass him. They didn't try to discredit him. They didn't distract from the good things that he was saying. And they didn't push their own way into the spotlight, trying to come off as the defenders of the truth against this lesser brother. No, having a more accurate understanding of the things that Apollos was saying, they lovingly, wisely, and very tactfully built him up in the knowledge of the truth. The point I want to make to you from this, their example is that as servants of Christ, we're called to build one another up in the truth. We're called to have a teachable spirit that is always seeking to grow in our own understanding of the truth, not ultimately just for our own benefit, but also for the benefit of our fellow brothers and sisters. Although they could have never anticipated it at the time, we can see very clearly that God had a plan and a purpose to use Priscilla and Aquila at Ephesus even while Paul was making his way to Syria and we aren't all called to serve as preachers and teachers in the church but we do have an we all have a certain role here in a kind of instruction maybe that's in having a conversation with someone over a cup of coffee maybe that's encouraging them with the gospel because they are going through a real struggle right now and anxiety is a bear Maybe it's you and your wife having a young married couple in the church over for dinner and board games and just talking to them about stories of past failures and triumphs and how you've seen God hold you and your spouse together all these years. A really good quote this week from someone who said that most marital problems could probably be fixed if a young couple would just sit down with an older couple and just listen to them talk about God's faithfulness in their marriage. I think they're right. The question is, will you be willing to use your own life that way? Maybe it's just being willing to confront someone who has fallen into sin and doesn't realize it, or maybe they're ignoring that fact yet. Maybe it's fasting with someone as they fight that sin, praying for them and confessing our sins to them as well. We each have a role to play in this, formal or informal, Because the servants of Christ were called to serve one another by building one another up in the truth. Now, as I say that, that needs to go out with a certain warning. Don't go trying to bash each other over the head with truth. Build each other up. Embrace the example of Aquila and Priscilla and consider where God would open up those paths for you. When Apollos was not where he needed to be, Priscilla and Aquila showed love for him and care for him by taking the risk and building him up in the truth. Let us learn to hunger and thirst for righteousness ourselves, not just for our own lives, but also for each other. And that brings us to our third point. Gladly go where God calls you to go. Now, Apollos did not stay in Ephesus. He had a great desire to travel to Achaia, which is the region of Corinth, to preach the gospel there. Now, Luke says that the brothers in Ephesus encouraged him in this, and they wrote to the disciples who were there to welcome him. This so is similar to what we see in some of Paul's letters, as he'll write from church to church and say, Greet so-and-so. Tell so-and-so we say hello. Receive so-and-so in the manner worthy of the Lord. Kiss them. That's, that, he says that too. <clears throat> when Apollos got to Corinth, Luke says that he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. And he did this by powerfully refuting the Jews who were opposing the gospel, speaking in public, and showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. So putting everything we've seen to, to this morning together, we can clearly see that God had a purpose in bringing Apollos in his passion to Ephesus because there he grew and matured in his understanding of the scriptures and of the gospel. And from there, he was then sent to Corinth, where God used him powerfully in the defense of the faith, helping the church there to stand against the pressure that was being put on it and glorifying Jesus as Christ from a right interpretation of the scriptures. Now, I'm sure that the church in Ephesus would have loved to have kept Apollos on, man, he'd have made a great elder. He would have made a great keynote speaker. But God had a different plan. His plan was to build the church up through Apollos that had first been planted through the ministry of Paul. Think again back to 1 Corinthians 3. Paul says, I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. The joy of a good servant is to do the will of his master. Sometimes it's very easy for us to get so set on the end result of what we want that we forget about the steps that are taken to get there. We can grow in our impatience because we want to see results now. We like our microwaves. We like to know that the food is going to be hot and ready in a minute. But the fact of the matter is that food that is microwaved is not as good as food that has been baked for hours. The joy of a servant is to do the will of his master, to trust his master and his plan, to trust the role that he's been assigned in that. The joy of a good son is to bring delight to his father's heart. And so it is that the joy of the servant of God is to gladly go where God calls us to go and to gladly do what he calls us to do. So as we wrap this passage up, there are just a few things to notice here. First, God called Apollos to go and use his gifts in Corinth. And Luke says that he greatly helped the believers there. They were struggling to deal with certain Jews that were arguing against the faith. And so when Apollos comes to Corinth with his eloquence, with his zeal, and his handle of the truth, God used him in these gifts to powerfully refute these enemies of the faith and to build the church up there in truth and love. One of the marks of a faithful servant of God is that we employ the gifts God has given us in his service. Our talents, our time, our strengths, our abilities, they are not ultimately for our personal benefit. They are not for us to make a name for ourselves with. They are given to us by grace for grace, and we must never use them otherwise. 1 Peter 4, verse 10 instructs us, as each has received a gift, use it, to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. The second thing we should see here is that God did not call everyone to go to Corinth. Priscilla and Aquila again stayed in Ephesus. Ephesus is becoming like an aircraft carrier in the middle of the sea, sending people out here and there for the service of the kingdom of God. And Priscilla and Aquila, as difficult as it was to part with those friends, were faithful there. God had a purpose for them in this. Even as they commended Apollos to the brothers in Achaia, they understood that they were called to stay, and so they did. They held the rope, so to speak, for Apollos, and they supported the church where they were. Now, it is impossible for me to look at this passage and not to think about what this Sunday represents. It's been difficult to pray for Mary (laughs) to get all of her funds so she can go, because we don't want her to see her go. But in the end, we have to remember that this is not about us. It's not about this church. It is about the glory of Christ. And we, this is a significant Sunday, because we are sending one of our own to take the message of the truth to people who don't have it. That is a great thing. So we, we get to have this fellowship time. This is your chance to encourage Mary personally as she goes to do what Priscilla and Aquila did for Apollos as they sent him to Corinth and to pray that God is going to use her powerfully there in Darby as he used Apollos in Corinth. So this is not a day of sadness. This is a day of joy. But it's a day of seriousness, and it's a day of glory to Christ. The third thing to see here is that whether God called Apollos and Uh, to go, or whether he called Priscilla and Aquila to stay, they served gladly. Glad service is the only service that is worthy of our great God. Whether it was Priscilla and Aquila or Apollos, they committed where God put them, and they did their work in a manner worthy of Christ, with joy. Ephesians 6 tells us to carry out our responsibilities not by the way of eye service, not to be people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. We must serve gladly. Fourth, we see that as they gave themselves wholeheartedly to the work that God had assigned them, both Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila and the brothers and sisters in each place, they entrusted themselves and the work to the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 through 14, Paul says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. When Apollos left Ephesus to strengthen the church in Corinth and Achaia, he went into a hard situation. We're going to see as we make our way through, through chapter 19 that by staying in Ephesus, Priscilla and Aquila stayed in a hard place. They are going to end up risking their lives. But whether they stayed or whether they went, they entrusted themselves and the work to God. They were brave and they were bold for the truth. They stood strong in the face of pressure and they did what they did in love and God blessed the work. We can easily get discouraged when, the thing, when things don't work out the way that we want them to. Pressure comes. It's easy to cave. As servants of Christ, we must remember that whether we plant or whether we water, it is God who is at work to see his purpose and his plan through. I have to regularly remind myself that at the end of the day, it is not my flock that I lead, but God's. Oftentimes, God works in ways that surprise us which show us that the credit belongs to him and him alone. So as servants of Christ, this must be our joy and our pleasure, to do the work he has assigned to us with the strength he supplies to us, to the glory of Christ in faith that he's going to use that for his glory. So as Christians, our identity is not guesswork. It has been established in Christ. We are servants of God. We are sons and daughters of God. As we grow and as we mature in that faith, let us learn to always maintain a humble, teachable spirit. Let us commit to build one another up in the truth. And let us strive to be faithful where God has called us to be with all gladness. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to thank you for the way. There, as we look at, the, at, this, at this account that Luke gives us of what happened in Ephesus while, Saul, while Paul was out in Syria, Lord, you, we might have scholars who would say that this is out of order because the focus has been on Paul. But Lord, since we have studied the book of Acts, we know that this is not a book about Paul. This is a book about Christ. And this is a book about how Christ is committed to build his church and to shed the light of the gospel in every corner of the world. And Lord, we thank you for the example we have in the lives of Apollos, Priscilla and Aquila, the brothers and sisters who were there, who who show point us to your faithfulness and show us how we are to be committed as servants of Christ. And Lord, we pray that we will have hearts that to embrace this for our own lives. Lord, we want to see this church grow, but more than that, Father, we want to see it mature. We want, I want to see, Father, people's lives being touched by the gospel because they are pressing in, because they have a real relationship with Christ. And Lord, we know that you are the one who gives growth. And so our, our cry to you this morning, Father, is that you would grow us in Christ. Help us to take what we've learned this morning from your word and to apply it to our lives this week. Help us to love one another. Help us to bear with one another. Help us to instruct each other in love and in forbearance. Help us not to think too highly of ourselves, but to think very highly and greatly of Christ. Lord, we pray that as we do that, that those who are around us, our our neighbors, our friends, our family, those who do not know you as their Savior, would come to see and savor Christ as their own. And we pray, Father, that you will work to open blind eyes and to bring dead hearts to life. And we, we pray, Father, that we'll be faithful servants, as you've called us, in our role in that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.